Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. You are listening to the Spent the Rent podcast, and now, here's your host, Patty Rose. Hello, I am Patty Rose. This is the 200th episode of the Spent the Rent podcast. First of all, I want to say thank you all for listening, for your support. If you'd like to donate to the show, you can go to sdrpod.com. Uh, it, it's, it's super helpful, the donations uh, that have you know funded this in the past so that I've been able to improve my equipment, better microphones, better quality. Uh, but it's been a tremendous honor to bring this podcast to you to spotlight some of the underrepresented of the Lane County area and to learn so much more about our community and the characters in it. And uh, it's been a real honor. This next episode might just be a little bit uh, awkward at times because I'm really basically just going to play some clips uh, pretty much chronological from the beginning of the podcast over the years. And I'm gonna skip, I mean, there's no way that I could play everything. So I'm just picking stuff kind of random, but kind of uh, spotlighting, you know, the thread of what we were covering when we were doing this podcast. This thing kind of created itself. I didn't really have any true intention or direction of what I was planning of where it was gonna go. But here we are, five years, 200 episodes. Uh, We're finishing the fifth season. Uh, I'm going to take a little bit of time off, take a vacation, and then I'm going to you know, hit it hard in the fall. Uh, you know, I appreciate all of you, and I want to give a special shout-out to two people, James Barber and Jake Williams, for, for being my biggest sponsors from the gate. James Barber with Oregon Cashflow Pro believed in me from the very, very beginning. He came to me and said, hey, I want to sponsor your show, and I said, sponsor? I don't even have followers, and he said, you will. And... Uh, so I just really appreciate you, James. And Jake Williams from uh, Subdermal Art Collective. Uh, hit up Jake Williams for great tattoos. And also uh, 45 Degrees Northwest. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, here we're going we're gonna to go. We're going to play some clips. Thank you all for listening. 200 episodes. Uh, here's over the last five years of the Spent the Rent podcast. Whew. Hey, shout out to all the listeners that shared this interview of my boy Patrick. He's putting in the work, and uh, I support him, and uh, you should too. And no, he didn't pay me to say that or give me a free haircut. (laughs) I don't have any money. And he didn't give me a free haircut because I have no hair So just remember, we're going to wrap it up here, but just remember, you're not having fun until you've spent the rent. Boom. November is Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Month, and in the Eugene area, the crisis is right in front of our faces on a daily basis. Lane County is host to over 1,600 unhoused residents, and that number rises to over half a million nationwide. The debate has been had on what leads people to end up on the streets, but one common thread is constantly present, suffering mental health. 
Today we are joined by a woman and dear friend of the podcast who knows this reality firsthand. Coming up next, Homeless in Eugene with Blair Conrad. Blair, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, sir. So I think you may possibly be the so the Spent the Rent podcast's biggest fan. You know, I was the first fan, so therefore I am the biggest. And thank you for noticing. Anyone that is listening, uh, Blair and I have been friends for 20 years, roughly. Who's counting? But uh, <laughs> So when you had started really tuning into the podcast and being really, you know, positive and and supportive of this kind of dream that I had of starting this. Uh, I really appreciated it. And then you had reached out to me kind of trying to say uh, different ideas. Like I'm going to be doing a show on suicide prevention with Sarah Wapner. Yep. Sarah Wapner Schofield. We've we've been talking about that. And so you had some different ideas. And one thing I wanted to do with a locally made Lane County based podcast is I wanted the people that were the audience to be part of it. So when you had reached out to me, that was something that I was like, we need to figure out a way to do a show. And you have got, you know, a great personal story. So it's something that, you know, I appreciate you coming out and doing this. I appreciate you having me, Patrick. So we're going to go just right into it. Uh, We're going to be discussing homelessness in Eugene and Lane County, which anyone that lives here knows it's a huge problem. You could be here for two days, one day, really, and know that it's a huge problem. Yeah. And, you know, obviously in the news, the homeless camps and the way that they're repositioning people and we'll get on, we'll touch on that a little bit, but mostly what we're going to be discussing is your personal story. Yep. So anybody that's listening, you know, there's not a one size fits all homeless story, but this is, this is Blair's story. And this is something that we both thought would be a great thing to share because it is a redemption story. And I think, you know, that's one thing Americans love is a redemption story. At least we used to, I don't know what's (laughs) happening today. Yeah, we do recover. So the one piece of advice I've got is if you're dealing with an addict, if they're happy with you, you're probably killing them. If they're mad at you, you're probably saving their life. So that, you know, take from that what you will, but that's a huge thing. Don't love them to death, please. You know, being from England, it's a great opportunity to have you here because we can talk about Brexit and that's something that Americans don't know anything about. So... I mean, I think let's just get right into it. If if you were telling someone that had no idea about what Brexit is, what is it? All right. So in the 1970s, the European Economic Union, the thing that ended up becoming the EU, was uh, taking on new members and Britain became part of that. And a lot of people didn't like it. Um, and those people kind of harbored those grudges for a long time. And then we had a referendum on it in 2015. And kind of in much the same way as there was a perfect storm around the election of Donald Trump, there was a perfect storm around Brexit, and a very unexpected result happened, which was that people uh, voted to leave the European Union, which is the largest trading bloc on the planet, and you'd think something people wanted to be part of. Well, looking back, sometimes they're funny at the time. <laughs> they might not be funny. i got to tell the, um, the one about my wife. Um, real busy day. She's real stressed out. She's hooking up this golden retriever in the tub, and um, it literally has explosive diarrhea. Oh, my gosh. All over the tub across the room, all over the walls. Worst ever. Um, so, you know, in hindsight, that was funny. Right. It wasn't funny to my wife ever. <laughs> not I, in the moment? Not no, now? No, I no. laughed. I laughed, and she uh, she took that sort of 
okay, but the dog was know. on a McRib diet. Yeah, we yeah. La- we laugh about it. If now. you eat a McRib on the toilet, it's called the oil change. <laughs> so, yeah. oh man, I'm sure that was just. It didn't get on her, did it? Just the walls? No, it got on her. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it got on several employees and some uh, people across, across the room. Across the street? That, across, <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> like three blocks What away. kind of dog is a golden, a golden retriever? So it was a pretty large dog. Uh, it was, and that's by far the worst uh, worst accident we've had. So at that point, were you... I know that with with your wife or with any, you know, the, your wife, wives, you're not going to rub that in, that it was her idea to start this business. I'm sure you pick your battles. Yeah, <laughs> you know? definitely. That's a good one to bring up at Thanksgiving at the table. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The stealer. The box is evil. I looked down at the four words I had just written and shivered. I wasn't sure if I could write another word, but my pencil was drawn back to the page, and I began writing. Slow at first, gradually quickening until everything became a furious scrawl. It looked as though a doctor had gone haywire with his prescriptional handwriting. I don't remember the exact technical name for this hideous device. I replaced it long ago with a name that suits the almost mystical effect it has had on my life. I know it only as the Soul Stealer. A buddy of mine brought it over as a token of his friendship. He had just been through a bitter divorce, and he wanted to thank my wife and I for the support we had given him throughout. He told us to beware of the unusual pull that the box seemed to possess. At the time, I thought it rather odd for him to have said this, but now I understand perfectly. I also understand that he escaped it, and I did not. Years before, I had removed a similar box from my home, simply because it was a distraction. I was a writer by trade, and I could not afford to be distracted from my work. But I was younger then, and obviously stronger. It began to control my life this time around. It was as if this box reached out an invisible arm, plunged it deep inside of me, and shut off some kind of internal emotional circuit breaker. I became apathetic towards my work and my wife. Nothing mattered more than the box. Religiously, I sat before it and stared. It was stealing things from me, my language, my vocabulary I had worked so hard to build. Thousands of words, maybe millions, were being bulldozed out of my mind, brick by brick, word by word. My wife left me. I hardly noticed. The box was all that mattered. The box was a godsend. It was doing many things for me. It was doing everything for me. The box was holding before me all the mysteries of the world. I didn't even have to move. The box was I, and I was the box. It was all I could be. I was imprisoned. I suppose I was found by the same friend who had given me the soul stealer. I don't know what kind of shape I was in when he found me, but I can pretty much form a mental picture. I do believe I am slowly recovering from my bout with that terrible thing, and slowly but surely I think I'm becoming a writer again. I put my pencil down and smiled. Suddenly I heard the door to my room being opened. A young black man that I vaguely recognized as an orderly was wheeling what appeared to be my new roommate into the room. Good, I thought. I hadn't had a roommate for quite some time. The young orderly helped my new roommate into his bed and left. For a long time, there was a still silence as neither one of us made any attempt at speech. I studied my new roommate's face for a few minutes and felt as though I had seen him somewhere before. He turned and looked directly at me. His gaze seemed lost and empty. Then I realized it was the friend who had given my wife and I the box, the soul stealer. I trembled slightly, and then the old friend roommate spoke. In a cold, dark whisper, he said, 
How did you like the television set I gave you? I did not answer. Instead, I wrote four words in neatly printed block letters. The television is evil. Captain America knew that, right? The, right. the cover of Captain America Comics number one from 1941, which came out before Pearl Harbor, is what, it's one of the greatest covers in, the, in, in comic book history. And it's Cap punching Hitler in the face. Right. Because that's what you are supposed to do to Nazis. Right. You know, uh, I mean, all, I, I guess I'm also willing to, to, to a limited degree, respect their First Amendment rights to talk their poison. But that I'm, is true. Um, but I am also quite happy when they get punched in the face. Right. That's that's uh, that uh, because, you know, because they are the bad guys. Right. They are actually the bad guys. It's tough for people to define what is in the moment, what is truly fascism. And I mean, it's not hard for me to see it. But this but. isn't. But but you know, if if you think that people are inferior to you on the basis of a, a phenotypical um, uh, description. You know, their skin is darker than yours or a different shade of yours or their eyes are a different shape from yours or their hair is a different color from yours. Or, you know, if you think that that automatically makes you superior to somebody, you are the bad guy. Sure. That is who you are. There isn't, there's no... Well, and then, you know, not you know. to get too political, but when Trump this week orders... American businesses to stop doing business with China. I mean, that's fascism. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's, well, it, that's the communism and socialism that people always are afraid of. Well, you know, and it's one of the strangest things about his entire mode of, oper of operating, right? Is that he genuinely seems to think he thinks he's the dictator. That, yeah, okay, he thinks he thought he was running for king. He's, yeah. you know, his sense of how politics operates and his sense of how the political system in this country operates is so ill informed and naive. That's one of the reasons he gets frustrated. Ago. So anyway, so I wanted to talk uh, about coronavirus, about Just coronavirus, but I don't think it's necessary. I think we, we don't have a lot of time. I, I a funny thing was said in the barbershop. It's been a, a common thread. Everyone's talking about the coronavirus, and mm -hmm. Ben Saunders, uh, he's a professor at the university, teaches comic book studies class, right, which is right, amazing. Right. He's been one of our guests. He said something that just just summed it up perfectly. He said it's like the world just discovered the existence of germs. <laughs> Yeah. Well, here's look, here I'll only give you one anecdote. I have a daughter who is you know, wildly successful, works for this international eye company. She used to be a, a head buyer, one of the big buyers for Gap. The Illuminati? Yeah, the Illuminati. Um anyway, she this company actually I don't know if people know this, but most eyewear is manufactured in Italy, which is it's something I didn't, I was not aware of until she started working for this company. Anyway, she has to go to Italy. She has to go to New York. She travels all the time. And she came down with symptoms this week that were like, uh-oh, this really sounds like coronavirus. She was freaked out. She had a high temperature. She had a cough. She had um, you know, sore throat the whole bit. So she was, I mean, we were texting back and forth 10,000 times. She tried to go get tested in California. She lives in Sacramento, which is, you know, uh, about four miles away from Travis Air Force Base, which is the, you know, the other hot spot in the country. They would not give her a test. They just said, look, until it stays at above 103 temperature for more than five days, we don't think you have coronavirus. You just have the flu. Yeah. Well, again, the flu has killed now more worldwide 30,000 people, 17,000 people in the United States. 
millions and millions of people, tens of millions of people have the flu, the regular flu. The numbers on the coronavirus are so low. Yeah. And the people that have died would have died from the flu. You know, I hate to say this. I, I hate to be that that cut and dry. But if an old person with respiratory problems gets the flu, they're probably going to die. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's the whole thing is silly. But Which, which you know just, what? all it does is it hurts <clears throat> Trump's numbers. Oh, it, well, it hurts everything that's, right that's now. The, that's the saddest thing is, is his reaction is, is about like they were talking on the news about uh, there's a cruise ship. And he's like, let's keep him on that because I don't want it to hurt my numbers. This well, is why we need to get this asshole out. No, no, absolutely. And in fact, all the experts are saying, heck, get him off of the cruise ship because that's a Petri dish. Yes. Get him over here where they can get the, the help. But yesterday when they canceled South by Southwest, I was bummed and then i started reading why and then my daughter said well, no they canceled three and then boom everything changed the spent the rent podcast has gone into isolation mode we will be doing our interviews remotely via the internet until further notice today we will be joined by members of the eugene oregon community who are affected by the coronavirus shutdown okay so we are here with brooklyn damon the owner of american traditional barbershop in eugene oregon and brooklyn welcome to the show Hey, thanks for having me. appreciate it. So we are fellow barbers. And one thing I've always respected about you that I want to talk about first is uh, that you don't ever come across as competitive. You're very supportive of other barbers in the community. And we pride ourselves on being the same. So uh, this is somewhere where we're family, you know, and so we come together and I wanted to have you on the show to talk about the effects that you're feeling from, we'll just call it the quarantine. And uh, I know you've done some media stuff. Uh, you guys were on the news, I believe. Because yeah, uh, my logo here in town. Yeah. So tell us, when did you guys shut down the shop? Um, oh, we took our last appointment on Saturday. Uh, last, about like eight days ago, nine days ago. Right. Uh, and then we were closed for the weekend. So we had the weekend to think about it and how to move forward. Because I really, at that point, there had been just really hearsay. There, there wasn't really a lot of information going on. A lot of conflicting stories and and actions that we were supposed to take. So uh, we kind of let the weekend play it out. Um, we uh, opened back up on Tuesday, St. Patrick's Day. Right. And uh, uh, I had already blocked myself out. So I was scheduled off anyway because the St. Patty's. And, sure. You know, I'd like to celebrate even though yeah, uh, that- we're quarantined. I can still yeah. cook corned beef. Yeah, we we shut Campus Barbershop, Dudley's Campus Barbershop. We shut it down on Monday the 16th. So I went into work and and George and I had talked and he's like, I think that we need to be proactive and we need to just go ahead and call it, you know, and, and our plan initially was to shut down for, you know, a week, a week at a time. And now we're on our second week. And like you had said, my name is Patrick. So St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day was something I had already had it planned. Right before Thanksgiving, I I ended up finding this location. Uh, I worked for several months to secure it. Um, It was a lot of work. Uh, I took most of February and put it together. Um, I spent a lot of money. I bet. Pretty much everything. And it's beautiful, and I'm very proud of it. Um, I do think that if I can maintain it, it'll be a location we'll be in for a very long time. Um, but right now everything's so uncertain. Yeah. I, uh, I have a lot invested. Um, and I'm kind of in a sweet spot with my landlord where I don't really have to pay a whole lot of rent. Um, 
it's part of how we negotiated the first couple of months of our contract. So I put in the floors and that basically comped me for a couple of months. Oh, that's but good. Yeah. It's coming so that to had an nothing, end. nothing to do with the shutdown. That was kind of, you know, it's like when you buy a house, your first 90 days, sometimes there's a deal that you'll work out or when you I'm sure it's the same with the business. So that makes sense. That was exactly it. Now, where's so the, where's the salon? So, so fortunate in that situation, but it's not going to last for much longer. Um, and I'm going to have to start paying rent soon. Yeah. Where is the uh, salon located at? Uh, it's in the parking lot on West 11th and Bailey Hill, right next to Lowe's. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. So I've been following self-employed Oregonians are facing a very difficult scenario. The Paycheck Protection Program initiated by the government applies mainly to businesses with multiple employees, leaving independent workers in the dark. And the Oregon Employment Department is so backlogged that unemployment claims are extremely difficult to process at a timely fashion. Today on the Spent the Rent podcast, we are joined by Taylor Jones as we discuss the self-employed. Uh, so we're not going to be able to get everybody on the same page. So we've got to find common ground, right? And and so if your if your your views and outlooks and drive is completely polarizing, whether that polarization has been created by false media narratives or not, whether it's a real polarization or not. Uh, the people are polarized and, and to be able to get people together, you got to find enough places where you can have common ground or at least talk about your uh, tenets or your ideals or your philosophies in a way that isn't off-putting and isn't as distracting to those that are unfamiliar or hold themselves in another ideological identity. So here's the thing though, that, that I, I just, this is where my frustration lies from either Yang, Bernie, whatever camp you fall in, you'll, you'll agree with, or at least hear me on this. <clears throat> when with Andrew Yang, some of the policies that he was about, uh, UBI, universal basic income, giving every American adult a thousand dollars a month, and it would be paid for by a small tax on, uh, companies like Amazon on transactions and fees. Google ads, and Google, Facebook right. ads. It's based on, it's, it's based on whether on the company, whether the company profits uh, off of consumers data without the consumer receiving anything. Right. And so, uh, because data is where the money's at with everything. But you see how, you see that how there's, there's, we, we, we want to pay for this thing or there's this thing that's going to cost money. That's going to be really good for people. And here's how we pay for it really easily. Connected. Right right yeah, there. yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's, right it's right there and right. there's no disconnect there should not be a disconnect so so that's explained on how it's going to be paid for and and we'll you know include elizabeth warren in the conversation and then bernie and elizabeth warren had presented ways to get a single payer system medicare for all whatever and they talked about how they were going to pay for it and then right. and then even the Koch brothers had released Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is Willem Lane board member and Lane County Democratic Party Chair, Chris Wig. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Patty. I want to give a little back. Today is Democratic candidate for Congress, Doyle Canning. Doyle, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. So this is the second time that we've met with you. Uh, first time remotely. These interviews are interesting. Patty Rose. My guest today is a candidate in Oregon's third congressional district, Albert Lee. Albert, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you, Patty. This is really cool. Uh, this is a little bit different. We usually try to keep 
most of our guests to, Lane, to, to the Lane County Radio host, Patty Rose. My guest today is a candidate for mayor in Eugene, Oregon, Thomas Huda. Huda? Huda. Huda. Yeah. Huda. Huda. I, I'm so bad with it. It's perfect. This is great. It happens all the time. I would imagine. And it's funny because I'm pretty sure I got it right on the intro that I recorded for the audio only of this episode, but I shit the bed on this one. Ooh, way to plug the audio for the video listeners. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, thanks for doing this. This is really cool. You had reached out to me. Uh, you told me that you had listened. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. Cohen, I wanted to ask you, uh, so now school for the rest of this school, school year is completely online. How have you adjusted to that? Are you enjoying it? It's, it's not fun. I'm going to be honest right here, right now. It sucks. It just, it just sucks. Yeah. I don't enjoy it. It's not fun. It's not cool. It's because I got to be the teacher too. Yeah, so pretty it's, much it's the whole the jazz right here. <laughs> so uh, what is it? I mean, do you miss your friends? Obviously. Yes, of course. But I have most of their phone numbers and stuff like that. But some of them I don't. So it's kind of a little sad, but not really because I have most of their phone numbers. Right. So I can talk to them virtually. Yeah. Are you, have you played sports on a team? Uh, I could hide this, this fact, but you literally reached out to me 10 minutes ago and you're like, let's do it right now. <laughs> so, so this is really cool to have you. We've got a lot to talk about. You are a busy, busy man in the creative world. Uh, Yes. you know, doing all kinds of different genres of music. And, and it's really cool to have you on as a guest. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. So let's just start off with uh, what you're the most known for is your hip hop work, I would believe, uh, under the name Sammy Warm Hands. And your website, which is going to be in the show notes, all of this information will be in the show notes, is take92.com. So take92 kind of encompasses it all. It's like your record label, your creative label. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, Take 92 started in 2005 as my recording studio. And uh, over the years, I realized that, you know, I was not only producing the music and, and mixing and mastering, but it's like I'm doing the art direction. I'm doing the photography. I'm doing the music videos. I'm doing the PR. Like, I, this is a label, you know. And so it didn't take long before I, I kind of rebranded it as yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, it was like May, May 30th, May 31st was the first stream or something, I think. Was, was, that, was that Friday night? That's like the night that started, started it all off. <laughs> so how did this come about? So what we're talking about is, is that if anybody hasn't seen your feeds, which is crazy because the last one you did got 40,000 views. So it's reached, nice. It's, it's reaching uh, just astronomical amount of people. When you started the feeds on Facebook Live, uh, what was the first one? Um, so the first one was that Friday night. I had been spending like the previous four days. So that Friday night, like watching all of the uh, writing and stuff happening in Minneapolis. So I was already just like tuned in, just like watching the live streams all day at work, all day, all day at night, falling asleep, watching them all. So I was kind of just like interested in the movement and seeing what was going on because I'd never seen anything like this before. And I was just like, this is kind of crazy. Like I didn't really understand what, what they were, why they were so upset about things because I don't have like a whole lot of black history and we can get in my family. We can get into that in a little bit. Um, anyway, I had been seeing the live streams and, and people cover the events and stuff. And then there were some talks about um, some people downtown starting to like form up and like do like a protest or meet up. Um, so my, my buddy Cameron hit me up and he came and picked me up and we went downtown and we're like standing on top of a parking garage and like heard some fireworks getting shot off over close to where that intersection was at, where it all started. Um, where the looting and everything happened at 
And um, so we just went over there and I was just like, well, I'm just going to go live on Facebook when we get down there. So, so if someone wants to see what's happening or, or whatever else, I didn't really like plan on going live the whole time we went down there. We just wanted to go see what was going on. And as soon as we get down there at the road, it was like right before all the fires and stuff happened. There's probably only like maybe like 20, 30 people there. They started pulling down all the traffic cones and like barriers and porch furniture. And then all of a sudden just started lighting it all on fire. So I was just like, damn, this looks intense. Like not like thinking about being a reporter or anything. I was just like, this looks crazy. So I'm just going to like film it. So Did I just you already had your gimbal. Is it called a gimbal? The one that keeps your phone centered? Yeah, it's like a gimbal or something because it has like a gyro on it. So it like moves around. Right. So you yeah. already had that. No, I didn't. I didn't have okay. anything. I was just I was just holding my phone. I I because I didn't have any equipment. So I just I was just like holding my phone and we went live and then um I guess my my friends that I had on Facebook was wasn't like too many even at the time because I'm usually kind of good at keeping my, my uh Facebook page personal because it has like all my family and everything in it. Sure. That's um, gone. That's out the way. Yeah, yeah, that's gone. <laughs> yeah. It's but, interesting uh, how passions, you know, this is something that I can tell the you. Quickest turnaround for a return guest, but a lot has changed in that one week's time or week and a half, 10 days time. Uh, everybody's aware of the fires. You can go outside, see the smoke. But what struck me and made me want to have you back on is we did that episode about leadership and you have shown tremendous leadership in stepping up, doing live feeds, talking about the shelters, the, res the response efforts, uh, the relief efforts to help the evacuees. So I wanted to have you back on, tell us a little bit more about it. Tell us what you've been doing. Tell us what we can do to help, what uh, the community can do to help. So if anybody's unaware, I don't know how, but if you're out of the area and you're listening, uh, you know, they're calling it the Holiday Farms Fire. That's the one that we're covering. Started out in Blue River. And it was, it's pretty much the general consensus that it was started from a broke, a down power line. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so from a down power line, and then from what I've understood, a monsoon in the center of the country pushed the winds in an opposite direction that is typical. So the winds came west, pushing the fire and smoke in a direction that isn't typical. Obviously, when, when city planning, when cities originate, <laughs> there's kind of a plan of where they go, you know, for this kind of stuff. But it devastated the Blue River community. And I think they're, what did they say? Between 80 and 100 houses and businesses destroyed at, at least. So tell me about the early stages uh, when you first hit live and went live. Uh, tell me about what that was like and what, what your first reaction and response was to this whole situation. Well, when I saw the first Lane County message that came on my television and our phones about the immediate evacuation order and American Red Cross was at Thurston High School. I got up the next morning and knew I needed to get over there. I knew people would be coming in disoriented. I'm a former soldier. I worked in the Emergency Operations Center at Fort Lewis, Washington. I was one of the three supervisors. We managed all of the West Coast, Japan, Hawaii, Alaska, Korea, all the West Coast, all military forces, all military operations, all deployment. So I knew that there was going to be a big need of personnel there to help serve and participate and organize and and get resources if people are being evacuated and they're coming down towards us. And we knew uh, that. This is, I think, the third time you've been on the show. You and I have become really close friends behind the scenes. You've been super supportive. You are the host of your own podcast, Broken Class with Thomas Yuda and mm -hmm. uh, Minneapolis Mayor Crowds, right? 
Whereas there is a giant difference between Donald Trump from the Oval Office telling people January 6th, January 6th, and then saying, you got to fight, you got to come with strength. Uh, Rudy Giuliani saying, you know, combat, you know, all this stuff and, and, and yeah, drumming up this kind of support, trial by combat. And, um, and, and that being the president of the U.S., in organizing that against a process of the government, like directly, and then why I say it matters what the people are thinking too, maybe I am wrong, but when I see that crowd of people all supporting Trump directly, maybe there is 0.001% of people who actually don't support Trump, but they're just there because they care so much about what they believe to be a flaw in election integrity that they're there regardless of whether or not they support Trump. But no, that is largely, it's not, like I said, the BLM thing is not pro Ted Wheeler, but the but the insurrection in cap, the Capitol is very much pro. We love Trump so much that we that we will do anything possible to say that he deserves to have a second term, even though seven million people voted for Biden more than him. And three hundred six to two thirty two was the was the result. And and none of these today is the newly appointed interim mayor Sean Van Gordon. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So Springfield, Oregon had in back in August, uh, uh, Mayor Christine Lundberg resigned and you at the time were sitting on city council. The seat came up and your name started being tossed around as, as probably the most viable option. And uh, a lot of people in my circle were excited. One of the big things is because you are a non-affiliated voter. And so you are somebody that represents Springfield really well because you understand sides, you know, from both the left and the right. Is that correct? Yes, and I actually think um, there's most of the councils actually not affiliated. It's not really common in city councils to talk about what your partisan affiliation is. If you're listening to this, I want to remind you that you can uh, subscribe to the S Spent the Rent podcast at wherever you're listening to this, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, anywhere. Uh, and also, a lot of episodes, not including this one, but a lot of episodes will be available on YouTube, youtube.com slash 2rd. So, Tim, welcome to the show. We're going to talk today about filmmaking in Eugene, Oregon, and kind of the, the world of an under, underground independent guerrilla filmmaker. <laughs> is, that, is that what we're going to do? That's what we're going to do. Well, let's see where we can pull this shit off, man. Yeah, so you've been making uh, short films and uh, films of all sizes, really, for quite a few years. Tell me what, what got you started in filmmaking in Eugene. Wow, well, let's see. I uh, was bartending for a few years in the 80s, and uh, I just knew that that wasn't going to really take me anywhere. And and then I uh, started thinking about, uh, hey, I'm good with imagery. You know, I think I'm good at, uh, I think I'd be good at making movies or pictures or commercials or whatever it was, just something visual, visually produced. And so, okay, this cat's up to no good. So I jumped up and followed him with my camera, and I started recording. And him and Judd Warden grabbed Ian Van Ornum, pushed him across the street, slammed him up against the concrete wall, took him to the ground, and he was just flipping out. And the whole time, I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, I've got all this shit on tape. And then I realized I'm not rolling, man. Oh, no. I wasn't rolling. And, and all of a sudden, you hear them going, get the taser out, get the taser out. And I'm going, oh, my God, how come I'm not rolling? And with tape back in that time, there was a 
a little slider that would record or not record, right? She wouldn't record over your, your recording on tape. Right. And that happened to be in the wrong position. So I had to eject the tape quickly, you know, put it in the right position, put the tape back in and start recording. And when I started recording that incident, um, they were pulling the taser bars out of his body. But uh, I did still get a lot of good footage, but that a lot of things like that have happened in the past where, you know, things just aren't going quite right. And that happened to be one of those. Wow. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is the interim police chief from the Springfield Police Department, Chief Andrew Shearer. Chief, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. Looking forward to it. Well, I think um, it's no secret to anybody that policing has been a focus of people across the country, you know, since the George, since the murder of George Floyd a little over a year ago. Um, <clears throat> I think where we want to focus as a community and on the type of policing that we want is we need community involvement to share with us how they want their community policed. Um, it, we're, we're in a day and age where police departments and police chiefs and city governments can't just tell the people of their city how it's going to be done and that we know best. We have to include community members at the table so they feel ownership um, and in how in how we do business. Yeah, I, I have to ask this. So, with no qualms, you you call it the murder of George Floyd, and I think that's really interesting. I want to touch on that. Yeah. You know, uh, is it something for you where it was kind of what was your first reaction when you when you saw that when you saw the tape? You know, I think like every cop that I know, when they saw the tape, they were absolutely disgusted, absolutely disgusted, and. Unfortunately, we, we, we've had that feeling far too often, um, you know, in, in recent years with the advent of cameras and recordings and things like that, you see things that happen around the country and you can't help but smack your head and like, how did that even happen? Why, why did that happen? That can't happen here. That's not my agency. How did that happen? But then you see it time and time and time again. And it's just, it's tragic. And I mean, honestly, the first thing that I thought when I saw that video was, you know, that officer did a horrible thing. He did a horrible thing, and he was held accountable for what he did. And that, yeah. That's what should occur. The general manager from the Eugene Emeralds, Alan Benavides. Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Excited to talk to you. It's going to be cool. Yeah, this is really exciting for me. I worked at the Ems Games for four years, all the way back in 96 to 2000 at uh, Civic Stadium. So the Eugene Emeralds are near and dear to my heart. And so... Uh, Shout out to Sean Van Gordon for making this happen. He, Mayor Sean Van Gordon, he messaged me and said that you had met and talked about uh, the potential relocation to Springfield, which we're going to talk about today. And he asked, he's like, hey, do you want to interview Alan from the, the M's? And I'm like, of course. Like, that would be amazing. So let's do that. So you used to work for the team. We could have used you this summer. I mean, God, we need, we need people. <laughs> Fortunately, I do have an actual career now. Uh, yeah, yeah, as a barber. Uh, but you know what? I'm, I've considered... Uh, like I had said before, you were the director of housing services at Shelter Care. Uh, what got you into this area of work? Well, it's kind of a lifelong story. I always had uh, kind of some my own mental health stuff going on. So I had, I have depression and it kind of has always been there. When I was in, I think I was second grade was when I first had a like, psych test or whatever it um like looking at these different pictures i didn't really understand what was happening it came back up again when i was 14 around 13 14 that i started to have more anxiety and depression and 
not really understanding what was happening. So I've seen a lot of therapists, talked to a lot of social workers. And I think it was around 14 that I was like, oh, these, I don't like the people that I'm talking to. I kind of feel like I can, I should do this. And another long sort of weird route led me to doing this kind of work. So I really liked the connection with people and that I was like, I want to help people because I didn't, didn't understand what was happening to me. Sometimes still today, I don't understand what's happening to me. Um, it feels really uncomfortable to feel like you're not part of your own mind. Like in control. Sometimes. Sure. Yeah. That resonates so, a lot with me. My mother struggled with PTSD and a lot of trauma and depression and mental health. And so did my brother and they're both gone. I have, hmm. my, you know, a lot in my life. I've, you know, so that resonates a lot with me and I'm, I'm really in with my mom. She was a social worker. She went from, uh, being a single mom, you know, divorcee or whatnot to being a social worker with a master's degree and multiple degrees and, and really successful. And so, so very similar. So I have a ton of respect for that. And, mm -hmm. and thank you for, for being so open about that. Cause I think it's so incredibly beneficial to people that are at every step of that process you know, and, and so that's huge. So 12 years that you've been with shelter care and you'd said you had kind of bounced around what her house collapsed on top of her, her entire family. Wow. She was about seven. She was somewhere between seven and 10. I can't remember exactly how old, but her entire family, somewhere around 11 people died in the same house. She was the only one that lived and she had to crawl out from the rubble of her house with broken limbs wow. and walk through the desolate wasteland that Hiroshima had become. And now instead of harboring hatred, she teaches kids how to mend that relationship. Wow. And it's just one of those things where you, sometimes sports lead you in a way that you had no clue you were going and teach you things that you had no clue that you were going to learn. So what was this event called? This is called the Pacific Rimble. It happens every two years on exception of the COVID year. You can look it up. It, wow. Yeah, every That's two cool. years they do it. They, they travel back and forth every other time that they do it. So, and when the, when the Americans go over to Japan, they go and see, the, they go and see where the bomb was dropped and, and all that stuff. And they take one football game every two years. And they pretty much take a lifetime of memories with them. Wow, that's, that's incredible. You know, and then I'm being a shell of myself. Then I'm not being transparent. I'm not being honest. I'm not doing those type of things. And uh, um, I feel like within my fan base, my friends, my family, which are all one in the same, when I post something, maybe about my own mental health or my own struggles or whatever, um, it's the realization that they're not alone, right? They, I, I feel like that's a recognition, but also it's a recognition from my part, right? When I get a message like that is realizing, man, I'm not alone. No, exactly. What, what I'm, I'm feeling isn't isn't just it's a solo, community. Yeah. independent thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That we that's the only uh, that's the only lots of great food. I mean, uh, there was nothing there was nothing not to like about that event. No, it was a good one. Uh, so we're here today because this is kind of an impromptu thing. We really didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this because you called me basically yesterday and said, "Hey, I've got some big news. Uh, I'd like to kind of speak directly to the citizens of Springfield. What do you think about having me on?" So. I, I I really appreciate you accommodating me on extremely short notice, yeah. less than twenty four hours. That's uh, the uh, that that that's the appeal and sort of the um, I guess the 
um, the, the the charm of your show is that you are uh, able to turn on a dime, and yeah. uh, I appreciate that. So, um, I uh, hey Thomas Hyura, uh, Tom, six years now. Six years. Uh, I was uh, I was starting on my seventh year right now, and um, yeah, I do um, want to let everybody know that unless something changes in very short order, it looks like um, due to a series of circumstances, I'm going to be leaving Springfield with great regret and with a heavy heart. Um, yeah. I'm going to have to uh, be chasing a job down to the Atlanta area. Yeah, Atlanta. You told me that. So, are you going to make a rap album? Like, buy, yes, a, get a Lamborghini. And... Uh, that, that that's exactly right. That's the job I'm going to be making. Uh, I'm going to be freestyling and uh, kicking it hardcore with uh, trucker songs. That's good. That's mm -hmm. good. Uh, I would. <laughs> it's funny that trucker songs could possibly actually be rap in today's world. That's uh, that's a that's a revelation. I, I think there. Hey, thank you all for listening. 200 episodes. Uh, cheers to 200 more. Uh, send me your suggestions. You can email me on episodes if you'd like to be a guest to patty at strpod.com. If you'd like to donate to the show, go to strpod.com slash sponsors. Uh, I really do appreciate, you know, all of your support and all you listening for the last, you know, few years. So cheers. I'm going to end this with a song. This is me, Patty Rose, and Gradient with the song, Feel of My Skin. It's time I took a step, a crooked wiggle in my hop scoot. It's not cute how the grief has kept me distant from the truth. The therapy I seek is scaring me to the point of isolation as I block out the memories. I'm stuck between these feelings of nothingness. I have a collection of bad intentions fighting against my better judgment. Fighting against my better judgment. Where were you when I lost my shit? Cause I was done with all of it. Sunny basement. Will you ever miss me? Can you even forget me? Will you miss the feel of my skin? And grief 
is really tricky It's making me dizzy I don't know where to begin Will you ever miss me? Can you even forget me? Will you miss the feel of my skin? Grief is really tricky It's making me dizzy I don't know where to begin